Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Amy Peavy. She's the principal regional director at Socotech USA. So Amy, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. Yeah, absolutely. And I looked at your background. You have an entrepreneurial background and also sort of a executive management sort of background along with your original architectural engineering degree. Yes. I received so, an architectural engineering degree from University of Texas, and that's what kind of kicked off my career actually during college. Yeah. I mean, when you were younger, did it flip-flop what you were wanting to do, or were you kind of, you know, early on sort of honing in on that area? That's a great question. So a little background. I had a father that was very goal-oriented and motivated. And so when, when we would spend time together, he would often start with like, what are your current goals? Like, right? He'd talk about like in short term and long term. And then the other part was he always asked, what are you going to major in when you go to University of Texas at Austin? <laughs> And so I was always very much focused on thinking about my future and what I wanted to do and what I enjoyed and how I could, you know, make that into a, a, a career. And so it did. It waffled between, you know, as a young child and loving animals and wanting to be maybe a veterinarian to, you know, having compassion for my friends and, and, and such and maybe wanting to be a child psychologist in my early childhood years. And then I would say by Middle school and high school, it got more honed into understanding that I had a proficiency at science and math, as well as enjoyed creativity and and trying to find a middle ground. And I also really like logic and, and like speech and debate. It flip-flopped between attorney and engineer. And it wasn't finalized until my AP classes. I went to an IB school, International Baccalaureate School. And my AP classes, I had a physics teacher who I think 75% of her students became engineers. So that's when it was finalized in high school. Wow. And you were talking about debate and attorney and then engineer. I guess so. some of your job now is, you know, there's a lot of legal aspects to the job. Yeah, yeah. So I actually I landed exactly where I where I what I couldn't have seen it, but we're exactly where I need to be or I wanted to be. I do a, a large portion of my work is dedicated to expert testimony or project advisory dispute resolution services, basically either trying to prevent and mitigate issues from happening and risks that are common within construction practice. A lot of those related to the building enclosure. When it comes to construction defects, that is the majority of litigation in the U.S as well as doing the actual litigation support and expert testimony, which is a little more punitive. It's, it's, it's doing an autopsy of sorts on a project and assigning blame at the end of the day. Yeah, there you go. And then you had a business at one point. I mean, it was entrepreneurship something that you wanted to explore in your younger years? I would say never in a million years did I see myself as have, having my own company, but if looking back, you know, retroactively, it's easily understood. So my father was an entrepreneur and he started his own business and he very much wanted me to take over his company, but that wasn't the line of work that I wanted to, to be in. But that entrepreneurial spirit was also in 
just hobbies and other things that I had engaged with, especially with him. And I also have a commitment for customer service. And it comes from the satisfaction and the value that I feel when I solve problems for, for people. I really get a lot of motivation and satisfaction from, from helping people. And that was exactly how it started, is I was working for a very qualified, very wonderful firm that had established practice in one area. And my clients, pretty smart, they said, oh, you know, you, you're really great what you do. And you're helping us retroactively fix all these problems. Could you review the new construction designs so that we are able to prevent these in the first place? And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a great idea. But the firm I work with was forensic based. And so as, as a result, it created a little bit of a, a conflict internally with their, their current vision. And so it started my own firm with, with two of my associates. It was the first real experience I'd had with a specialized firm doing building and closure practice, which is exactly what we did. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to, to think about starting something or being around it and then doing it yourself. What did you learn? So yeah, lessons learned is that it takes a lot of planning and it takes a lot of research. And I would say in hindsight, I wish I had really relied on my fellows more that had already gone through the experience. You know, after I started my firm, they relied upon me and they called and reached out and asked for insight and feedback. And I I just kind of did it on my own. You know, I, I didn't really rely on others in, in understanding how I could have prevented some of the lessons that we had to learn as a company. I did have partners that had had similar, not similar, they'd had their own companies, but never a consulting practice. So hindsight, I really wish I'd relied upon my friends in the, in the industry, including those within IBEC that had already started their own firms. Maybe I wouldn't have had some of the headaches and pains, growing pains that I had, had I done that. But it was really driven to, to satisfy that customer service. And so first, it was just building and closure consulting. And from new construction or forensics, it grew into the expert testimony. And then we also provided testing and field like rope access services. And all of that was driven because our customers of our customers' needs. And congratulations on recently being appointed as president. Yes. And when did that sort of association with them or involvement start? So when I was working for the, my previous consulting firm with Janie Elsner, I was surrounded by very talented and knowledgeable experts and a plethora, you know, they, from material scientists and architects through engineers, I had a great base for technical knowledge and growing that technical knowledge. And while I was there, I was often challenged by contractors and manufacturers about different approaches and such. And I really didn't feel I was, I had that that level of knowledge. And the people who later became my partners joined with Janie Elsner. And very soon and quickly, I learned that I was limited. I was limited because of my technical knowledge in that one point of view. And that by having a larger point of view and expanding to, you know, cost estimating and scheduling and constructability and et cetera, that I would actually was able to serve my clients much better and also was much more collaborative in my approach on my projects. And part of that growth and collaboration was joining, at the time it was called Roof Consultants Institute or RCI. It wasn't just my limitation is just a technical engineer and not understanding all the other aspects of the industry, but it was also that my focus for the majority of my career had been vertical, facade and curtain wall related elements 
And often when we go to address an issue, there's either problems with other systems or it's not even related to the system that the initial owner or client thought it was related to. So I wanted to become more well-rounded. I wanted to learn about the full building enclosure, all six sides of the building. And that's why I started engaging with RCI was to increase my roofing knowledge and very quickly realized that they did a lot of the same things I did with the cladding and, and fenestrations, as well as waterproofing. And so hence, for IBEC was born. We rebranded as the International Institute of Building Enclosure Consultants to reflect our membership and our specialization and growth within the building enclosure industry, not just roofing. Yeah. Walk me through the behind the scenes of the rebranding, because rebranding is not always just the logo and stuff like that. There's a lot of probably discussions that need to happen. Walk me through some of what you learned through the rebranding. So the rebranding is something that was, once again, kind of like my career was driven by by the needs and the evolution of the industry. You know, just like building a closure practice was not really a known specialization, you know, 30 years ago. It became one because of the the needs of the industry. Similarly, the, the IBEC membership started growing and taking on other areas of the building enclosure because, like I said, sometimes a roofing problem was actually a window problem or a roofing problem wasn't a roofing problem at all. It was a building science issue with condensation or the HVAC system. So as that grew, there was more discussion of trying to, the association's name didn't really reflect what our membership. So, you know, RCI in general was based on roofing but just having RCI, we, we felt was still limiting and it didn't really encompass and encapsulate our full membership. Speaking of trying to make every, all the membership feel their value as well as representation, we felt that we needed to make a change. There was resistance to that change as there is always with change. Train, change can be difficult, but what we do as an association is we create committees and, and task forces. And so one was created for the rebranding and that was made of leadership from various regions as well as uh, specializations to envision what that rebranding would look like. And that's henceforth came the name as well as the logo. And it's been changing ever since. So if you really go back over the years, we've actually changed our logo a little bit here and there. And we're still that there's still a little bit of that rebranding that's occurring, as well as we're launching new programs and marketing campaigns based on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I really like the look and the feel as it's definitely uh, great. I, I don't know as much on where it was. I knew a little bit, but I definitely like where uh, it looks like it's heading. There's a lot of great changes that have happened of late within IBEC. They've all been for the support of our members as well as the industry. There's more good things to come. Yeah. I mean, with, with the industry, I'm all about, you know, well, sort of improving and moving forward. In terms of IBEC or things that are top of mind for you, what are the key areas you think that uh, need to improve or the opportunities to improve? So we are continuing that growth that was, you know, Basically, it started before the rebranding and the name change. That was just one of the of the changes that came about as a result of trying to reflect our membership and the needs of our membership. So we've done uh, member need surveys where we have another one that's coming out this fall. And so as we receive feedback from our members, we're going to continue to change and modify our vision. And with that, we are also modifying our strategic plan for IBEC. Some of the areas that we're focusing on are diversity and inclusion and belonging and incorporating that into all aspects of our strategic plan. 
as well as our core practices of education and uh, certifications within the industry. We're growing those programs as well and incorporating more well-rounded approach to the building enclosure, incorporating all six sides as well as building science. So I think overall, just the, the vision for continually evolving and changing and having a framework that can do so as our membership changes is, is really our focus and has been our focus and actually been very successful at it, including because we've been doing it during the pandemic and we, and we were able to do it from the pandemic and took some really wonderful lessons learned and value out of the pandemic about being able to network in different platforms and different methods. It's really helped with our chapters and them being able to network with one another more. Previously, chapters integrated, I mean, networked on a more regional level. Now we have a much larger platform where the presidents can all engage with one another virtually. Uh, we have a lot more virtual education content. So just staying with our membership and their needs and evolving with them is, is really our overall goal. Yeah, for sure. Now, related to your practice, more on the technical side of things, what sort of things do you find yourself commonly giving advice on, like, you know, in terms of your clients, the people you engage? So I think as I've gotten more and more experience and exposure in a larger client base, sometimes it's it's been a lot about more soft skills. It's not about my technical knowledge as much as what's the best approach as far as going to get the end product. So really being able to see the big picture as well as focus in on all the minutiae in order to get there and all the minutiae of the ways to get there and the pros and cons of all of it. So that's been one of my biggest assets that I have is I have that ability. I may be an engineer, but I am able to focus on the big picture and understand all the intricate parts and plans that are available in order to accomplish an overall goal. So as I've evolved, I find that my clients more and more rely on me to really break out that framework in, in all of their options rather than, hey, this is what I need. I want this one single solution and, and just reaching that one goal, being more of a part of the overall collaborative plan from the from the very start. Yeah, I think I can visualize that. I mean, is there an example where sort of that played out in the way that you described? Yeah, I would say uh, mostly that the works in the dispute resolution world, as well as as during new construction. So we have, I think I'll, I'll go with the hospital project that I'm currently, it's under new construction, and it has a design team and a construction team that I've worked with very, very often in the past for a long, long time, and also had just completed another tower about seven years ago, a hospital tower. So this is, you know, high-rise hospital tower in the Texas Medical Center. And for this project, all of the lessons learned from litigating hospital towers, as well as building the previous hospital tower, were brought into the project to determine which aspects from the very start needed to be a delegated design or a design assist, all the way through what systems were selected and why they were selected. Whereas in the past, a lot of those things were dictated already by the ownership, just based on their, their previous project requirements and such. This time around, the really the entire team's insight was sought out to develop a strategy and a plan for all, all aspects of the project, including some, some multiple hat wearing. On this project, we are not only providing the design peer review assist and construction administration under the architect, but we are also working for the contractor. 
seems like an obvious conflict of interest, but because of this team approach, we are helping the contractor facilitate the demolition and mostly the temporary protection of the existing facility so that we can integrate this new tower and ensure that the temporary protection lasts as long as it needs to until the new section of that tower is built and that the overall design is still met, right? We don't want to abuse aspects of the temporary protection, which would conflict or you know prevent proper integration with the new tower. So having the insight and the knowledge on the front end of the design is really helpful to be able to wear both those hats. Mm, sounds like a combination of getting people to have an open mind and facilitating collaboration. Yes, yes. So, I mean, often, especially with hospitals, you know, they have high risk. And so they have usually their own risk management departments and they have their set systems and their set protocols. However, they really, in this case, leveraged the power of this team collaboration that had already worked before and done many projects successfully, as well as had opportunities for lessons learned and leveraged that to to have a more collaborative approach. So it's been really successful and it's really helped also with the relationships when you have good relationships with the all the team players from the manufacturers and the contractors and the design professionals, it does help with the, the collaboration because everybody's everybody's really able to communicate effectively and work together. Yeah. I mean, you dropped some hints on how to do this well, but if you were speaking to someone that came at it a bit more from an engineering side and wanted to add some of those skills that you were talking about, where would they start? What would the progression be? That's a great question. So I think a lot of that would come from collaboration in a network and just growing your network first of people. When I started out from that narrow engineering mindset, which isn't a horrible thing, right? And being an engineer is, is a good thing, but only thinking of things from the technical aspects and their performance to broadening as a more well-rounded individual, I started increasing my network. So that I'm not only involved joining IBAC and other industry associations like the SWR Institute and AIA and such, ASTM. It was also engaging with the manufacturers, the local suppliers, as well as the contractors and growing that network, leveraging them, asking them questions, being of service to them, you know, just on on a personal level to grow those relationships and my understanding as well. And Also, opportunities. I was looking for and putting myself out there for challenge and opportunities for growth. So just because something was different and wasn't something I'd done before, if it was still within my my realm of expertise, pushing myself to be able to be successful and collaborating with others to come to a successful outcome and also pushing myself to grow and learn. That's still to this day the best part of my job because I like that I never never know everything, right? I love that every day I'm challenged. And so leveraging that that part of me that really likes that challenge has been great in helping me grow and become more well-rounded and not being, you know, this fear fear can be very motivating, right? Or demotivating in this case. And just overcoming those because of my network of, of collaborators in the industry. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, relationship building, networking. So the question is for IBAC, what type of individuals would benefit the most from joining IBAC? The core of our membership come from the, the consulting practice within the building and closure industry. So obviously, we have programs for certifications as well as education that directly benefit them. However, students, students have learned a great deal about not only just the technical aspects of building and closure, but just about the construction industry and how it works and the role of each of the players. 
We also have a large portion of our membership is the industry members. There's education and certifications that they leverage as well as the networking and really making sure that they understand the needs of the consulting and the ownership industry and so that they are ahead of and innovate along with the industry and collaborate. There's been so many successful collaborations that I've had with manufacturers because of my involvement in IBAC and it's because they're members too. And, and we have fostered those relationships and also educators and owners can, can have benefited from the engagement with IBEC. Educators have leveraged our education as well as our conventions and trade shows to introduce their students to the construction industry, as well as opportunities for collaboration and research with IBEC. And we also have the uh, owners, you know, mostly those that are responsible for operations and maintenance can really benefit from our education content and our certifications, as well as engaging with our, our other members, whether it be industry members or consultants, they can better understand their facilities and how they and how the building enclosure impacts their operations so that they can better plan and have the key players involved when they need support. Yeah, that makes sense. Amy, is there anything that I did not ask you, but you want to share? I don't think so. I mean, I guess overall, my lessons learned throughout my entire career were that having an individual perception of things is well wonderful. And it's definitely an aspect that I'm able to leverage. I'm, I'm better as a person and I'm better as a service member to the industry, as well as my clients by collaborating with others and using the knowledge of others, whether it's successfully creating new products or new approaches in the industry to resolve problems or overcoming industry issues such as supply chain shortages during COVID. It's all that collaboration that I would single-handedly not been able to overcome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Amy, thank you for sharing your knowledge. Okay, well, I really appreciate the time and I appreciate the invitation. It was, this has been exciting. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.